following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Okay, there are three, three readings today. One you've already done, Pastor, but I think I'll do it again because it's a really good reading, right? Okay, the first one is from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 to 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian." I guess that was the battle with Gideon, right? Where he, where he, uh, anyway. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Second reading is from Romans 5, verse 1 to 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, <clears throat> knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And the third reading comes from John chapter 14, verses 25 to 29. And Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Krista. We're talking about peace this morning amidst sirens and other things. Um, and I, while I was staying there, I decided I need to pray again before we continue. Our Father, we thank you that your Son is the Prince of Peace and that you long that uh, 
we would both know peace in our hearts and our lives as well as peace in the world. Your peace, Lord. God, we're not in control. We're frail. Um, We mess up. But we thank you that for the serious things, you provided your son to set us free, to be forgiven. And for the, the smaller things, just the human imperfections where we bungle, where we get distracted, help us, Lord, to rest in the security of knowing that we're your children and that you are God and we are not. And so, Lord, we look to you that you might bestow upon us a gift of peace this morning and that you would calm our hearts. Lord, there's so many things going on in our lives. Our society is so full of fear. And for many of us, peace is just a concept, something that's become impossible. But nothing's impossible to you. We pray that you would wrap your arms around us this morning, that we might be settled in your presence and that you would make us instruments of peace in a chaotic world. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I feel better. Last week, I began my Gospel Advent series by explaining that for four weeks before Christmas, we take time to reflect on the Lord's Advent, which means his, do you remember? What does Advent really mean? Arrival. And it refers both to his arrival at his birth and his eventual return. The Jewish people in Jesus' day expected that when the Messiah, Christ, same name, would arrive, he would fulfill at that time everything they had anticipated God had promised with regard to the restoration of all things. They did not expect that his arrival would occur in two stages, nor that they would be, the stages would be worked out over a long period of time. The first stage, his first advent or arrival, was to conquer sin and death by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. As part of that stage, he also equipped his first followers to proclaim his reign to Israel and the world, training others to do the same all the way down to us today. The gospel, the good news, the angelion we preach is more than what Jesus did for us. It's the proclamation of his rule as we declare Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not whoever Caesar may be in whatever generation we find ourselves. Last week, as we reflected upon the theme gospel hope, we were reminded that a genuine biblical hope is not wishful thinking, but a confident expectation. Gospel hope is one in which that confident expectation is deeply rooted in King Jesus and not ourselves, our impressions, our traditions, our interpretations, and so on. Gospel-oriented hope demands we adjust our expectations according to his purposes and plans as we keep in step with him. And that brings us to this week's theme, gospel peace. So our common understanding of peace is generally lack of conflict. Peace, not war. We also think of it as calm, general lack of conflict, you know, um, 
You know, I wish I could find some peace. But the biblical understanding of peace is actually way bigger and way deeper than that. It does include lack of conflict, but it actually denotes completeness, wholeness, and harmony. I'm sure you're aware of the Hebrew word, the original biblical word for peace is shalom. In Greek, in the the New Testament, it's Irene, where we get the name Irene from. Interesting that in modern Hebrew, which has a lot of similarities to biblical Hebrew, but many differences as well, in modern Hebrew, when you greet someone, you say, depending if it's a man or a woman, mashlemcha or mashlemech, basically, how's your peace? Meaning, how are you? We might say, do you have it all together? Is everything with you in its rightful place? That sort of thing. And I think if we think about it, it makes a lot of sense. So in the Bible, peace, shalom, arene, is associated with health, with safety, prosperity, contentment, and good relationships. Peace is the way to describe a state when everything is functioning the way it was designed, working in right relationship to everything else functioning the way it was designed. I've encountered an illustration of biblical peace from well-known New York pastor and teacher and, and writer Tim Keller. He pictures life as a fabric, a piece of cloth. He writes this. If I threw a thousand threads onto the table, they wouldn't be a fabric. They'd just be threads laying top of each other. Threads become a fabric when each one has been woven over and under and around and through every other one. The more interdependent they are, the more beautiful they are. The more interwoven they are, the stronger and warmer they are. God made the world with billions of entities, but he didn't make them to be what's called an aggregation. It's a fancy word for that means aggregation is a bunch of stuff all in a pile, where they're not related to each other. It's just a bunch of stuff. Rather, he made them to be a beautiful, harmonious, knitted, webbed, interdependent relationship with each other. So God made a very complex world. And, and as, as science has, has advanced through the, through the centuries, we see more and more how even the smallest items, the, our cells in our body, for example, are themselves very intricate systems that are designed to work in a particular way. And so our bodies, just, just the human body, is a complex system of systems that interrelates to each, to each system interrelating with other systems. And health is when all the individual systems are working properly and they're working properly in relationship to each other. And so Tim Keller likens that, what we're seeing just with the human body, we think of the 
whole world as a fabric and when all the systems in the fabric of life are individually working properly and then working with one another properly, that is the biblical definition of peace. So when the fabric is complete, healthy, and whole, that's peace. When the threads are broken down, when they break, when they're not interwoven as they should be, that's not peace. So peace is more than calmness or a lack of noticeable aggravation. It includes proper functioning and relationship. So, a calm heap of stuff is not peace. I know some of us, we prefer to take all that, maybe it's laundry, or papers and paper clips and staples, and we're okay if it's all just in a pile. And I know some of you I've already triggered because that bothers you so much. Others are happy with, those, with a calm heap of stuff. But a calm heap of stuff, when it comes to life, is not peace. It's actually a lot more like death. Because a dead body is actually a calm heap of stuff. It doesn't cause too much trouble. Well, it does, it can. Yeah, but you know what I mean. So one of the outcomes of Jesus' advent, which is a complex thing that encompassing two stages, his first coming for sin and to prepare us to proclaim his message and his second advent when he does come to restore all things. So an outcome of Jesus' advent is true peace. And I'll read again Isaiah 9, verses 6 to 7. For to us a child is born, this is a prophecy written about 650 years before Jesus came. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We're going to talk about God's peace that he longs to give each one of us as individuals. But God's grand plan through his Messiah isn't simply that individuals would enjoy peace, peace of heart, calmness of soul, this sort of thing. That as the Prince of Peace, he's come also with a governmental peace. And this again is the essence of the gospel. The gospel is not simply Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. That is what makes the gospel possible. The gospel is Jesus is Lord. And therefore everyone Every emperor, every king, every child must turn to him because he is king. And his plan is to bring about complete peace in all of its way. He's come to restore the fabric of life in every way. 
So we read, it's verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. When we come into right relationship with God through Jesus, and we experience peace with God, we become part of a process of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So peace is more than just keeping things calm. That's just control. It's it's relatively easy to keep things calm through control, but that's not peace. There's a Canadian value where we become famous internationally. Canadians have been known as peacekeepers. But peacekeeping isn't actually peacekeeping at all. Because it's only required when peace isn't happening. If there was actual peace between warring factions, you wouldn't need the peacekeepers. So there are whole social systems that are focused on control, but they don't result in peace. There are whole systems that value control. It's rampant in the world, in the church, in families, and and individual lives. It's easy to claim we have peace when things are under control. But it's not peace. It's not healthy. You know, there's, there's, of course, there's self-control is, is part of, would be part of healthy living. But control, when things are all out of whack and we just want to keep things from getting completely out of hand without ever addressing that which is causing the turmoil in the first place, as I said, that's simply control. That's not, it's not peace. Peacemaking, not peacekeeping. Peacemaking is actually reflective of God himself. Matthew 5, 9, the famous beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. When we're peacemakers, then people should be able to say, you look like your dad. Your dad being God. You know, a lot of people, when they see things are not right, whether it's in families or their companies they work with or their churches or other organizations, there are some people, their reaction is, come on, can't we all just get along? Stop acting like children, they say. But that doesn't bring about peace. Again, that's only control. Actual peace requires confronting what's wrong, not ignoring it, not controlling it. I believe this is why Jesus says in Matthew 10, verses 34 through 39, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, which is For many, as I explained last week, peace was one of the hallmarks in the Jewish mind of the first century, even till today, that this one who brings peace, that's the Messiah. 
That's, that's why John, you know, people are, are, some people are very into the coming of the Antichrist, but when we looked at 1 John, he says, there are many Antichrists already among us. People who bring false peace. I'll show you how to do it. I'll solve your problems for you. But they're not actually addressing the real problems. They're not actually representing the Lord. They're not really upholding his word. And so think of it, though, when if you've been taught since childhood that a hallmark, a sign, of the, a credential of the Messiah is the bringing of peace, what do you do when Jesus says, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So what kind of prince of peace is this who seems to thrive on causing trouble between people of most intimate relationships, within causing conflict within families? What kind of prince of peace is that? Well, the only kind. Because the only way to bring about peace is to confront what's wrong. It seems to me that in, in my own background, my Jewish background, with the expectation of the Messiah, we believed that we would just go about our business hurting one another. All the mess of, of the world, of wars, of sickness, and Messiah would come, snap his fingers, and make everything better. And if that be God's will, fine. And I, you could get that impression, I guess, if you don't really read the Bible, but you read parts of it, that that's how God solves problems, comes, snaps his fingers, makes everything better. But that, that goes against the, the very core of God's plan for planet Earth. Because... He set things up that he wanted to do, accomplish his will on earth through human beings. He called Adam and Eve and he made them in his image, which is to say he designed us to be God's, his representatives on earth. And he set us over the planet to take care of it. That's why when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, it wasn't just their own lives that fell apart. It, it caused there to be a curse over the whole creation because the people placed in charge messed up and it messed up everything. Now, God could have just wiped his hands of the whole thing, started completely over again, but he didn't. And all the, all the way through scripture, his desire has been, and he's never changed his mind, that he was going to restore things by working through human beings. And the greatest expression of that is that he himself became a man. That's what we're celebrating at this time of year. But again, you can see how easy it is to think, okay, we've done such a terrible job. We need God to fix everything for us. 
Here comes Jesus. Yay, Jesus. We'll sit back and watch you fix everything. But you've read the Gospels. You've read the New Testament. You've read the Bible. There is no call in Scripture for us just to watch God fix everything. Rather, Jesus invites us to be restored to who he's made who God made us to be and to live out that which God has always wanted human beings to do blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God if we call God to be our father then we're called to live life according to his will and his likeness and his character and all the rest We're to be part of that process. And so when Jesus gives this speech about, don't think I've come to bring peace to the earth, which of course he did. He did come to bring peace to the earth. But in order to bring peace to the earth, he had to confront what was wrong with the earth. He had to confront what was wrong with us. He needed to call us to repentance so that we would, be, we would find peace with God so that then we could be the peacemakers that he's called us to be. And if you're following along, therefore, if we're going to be peacemakers, that means we also need to confront what's wrong. We don't just snap our fingers and things get better. The same thing with we ourselves. If we don't allow God to confront the things in us that are not right, we will continue to live in chaos and we will be channels of chaos to other people. So his call to repentance, to trust in God, to obey him, is actually highly confrontational and divisive. That is what happens. And so it's interesting, and I've been seeing some of this in in the past couple of years, that um, when people are not just going along with what everybody wants them to do, they're often accused of being divisive. But... That's the only way to solve problems. Like when things are going wrong, often it's the person that's trying to make things right that sometimes appears to be the troublemaker because human beings tend to want to live with a pile of stuff. We don't really want peace. We want to just leave things as they are and just don't bother me but we've been called to be part of this highly confrontational process. First, by allowing God to confront the unpeace. I can't really find a good word for the opposite of peace. Because, it's, it's because peace is so all-encompassing, it's not just peace, not war, peace, not calm. So I don't know what to call it. I just, in this, it was in this moment. I haven't thought of this till right now to call it unpeace. Because it's just... There's peace and there's all the other stuff well illustrated by a heap of unrelated things. A mess, in other words. So the eventual outcome of the work of the Prince of Peace will be the full establishment of Jesus' reign along with the final judgment and a renewed creation. That is where we're going. 
But until then, we are called to be peacemakers, which requires taking a stand, which requires telling the truth. But what a blessing a true peacemaker really is. When we know the Lord and we are following in his footsteps in being peacemakers, we are like golden threads in the fabric of life. Golden threads into, the fa- into broken, frail, weak fabric. Golden threads introduced by God that are infused with the power of God to bring healing to the other threads of the fabric. That is who we have been called to be. Now, it means being really different, and not everybody's going to like it. But God has appointed us to be his instruments of healing and hope and goodness, salvation to others. And he does it by sending us into the frail, hurting fabric of life as his golden threads. We will be resisted by those who prefer death. But we will be instruments of transformation for those who are longing for true peace. Now, of course, we cannot be those golden threads We cannot be peacemakers unless we first have peace with God. And for us to experience that, the first thing we need to do is recognize that our lives are just a heap of threads. I remember when I was confronted with with that. I didn't know. I knew my life was a mess, but I didn't realize how dead I really was. And that day when I was first introduced to the concept of what it means to be a sinner, and you've probably heard the story before, that by that time in my life, I'd I'd decided, I was almost 19, and I decided that I never had to say I was sorry to anybody again, because if I did something I didn't mean to do, I didn't need to say I was sorry, and if I did something that I meant to do to someone, I wasn't going to say I was sorry. And I didn't realize that I had put myself in a, in a prison and locked the door, threw away the key, and I was entrapped by my own foolishness and deception. And then the word came. You're a sinner, buddy. And it was explained, he didn't actually say it like that. And it was explained to me. And in the moment when I said, huh, that makes sense. I didn't know that light had burst into my prison cell and broke the lock, giving me the opportunity to leave. Because I was willing to admit that I was not just a victim of my horrible childhood, But actually, I had done wrong before Almighty God, and he was calling me to account, and I was willing to say, I am sorry 
forgive me for my sins. Until we recognize that our lives are a dead heap of threads, we will never ourselves be the fabric that God has called us to be. But when we accept the painful truth that we have blown it, we have offended God, and we have hurt others, and it's our fault, not their fault, our fault, because of what Jesus has done for us, perhaps one of the greatest miracles in the universe, he'll take a heap of threads and make us into golden fabrics and then send us out into a world of brokenness, of unpeace, and use us, not perfectly, but use us nonetheless to bring help and healing and restoration and health and truth to others that they also might be golden threads in the fabric of life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for what you have put before us, that wherever we are in life, wherever, whatever we have done, whatever has happened to us, in the chaotic mess of our lives, in our sinfulness, your Son has come to restore us and to give us true peace. And not only that, but to make us instruments of peace to others. Father, if there are things that are holding us back from opening our hearts to you fully, may you deal with that. And may your word ring in our ears, drawing us to yourself. Open our eyes to see you with open arms that we might turn to you and find restoration and find peace with you. And then, Lord, fill us with what it takes to be willing to go into a hurting world and confront the heaps of threads out there that we as golden threads of healing and peace might make a difference in this world at this time. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.